0: Weeks we've been looking at the account of the woman at the well. We've been in John chapter 4, and, uh, and maybe you, you, you're thinking, Well, I, I know that account so well. I, I don't see why Brother Morgan had to be taking up three or four Wednesdays in this particular account, but I, I need for us to appreciate something about this text. This text is complex. Uh, and if you've ever had a, a good, a good, solid meal, sometimes you know when you, when you go to a place, I, I don't know, have any, has anybody here ever been to Hattie Bee's? Uh, Hattie Bee's. Hattie You know, have you ever been to a restaurant or been to a place, and and you buy food, and maybe you did it for the first time, this was your first time being at this place, and you bought some food, it just looked good on the menu, and when it came out, you just knew you couldn't eat that plate by yourself in one sitting, so so what did, you, what did you do? You tried your best to, to make it as far as you could, but then when it was time to leave, you, you, you called the, the waiter, the waitress, and you say, could you bring me a to-go to-go box? There are just some meals you can't, you have to have more than two bites at the same cherry. It's, it's, it's kind of similar when, when I think about this text. It's, you have to take your time with this text to really get into all that the writer and the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal to each and every single one of us. And so as we think about the progression of the text, we we recognize that Jesus would have introduced the the whole idea of worship. And so the woman comes up with the question, listen, is it really uh, in Jerusalem or in this mountain? Because my forefathers had worshipped in this mountain and they claimed that it was in this mountain we need to worship. But but, but what say you and Jesus would would tell her, listen, woman, the, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers shall neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father for uh, and he would make the bold declaration that god is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth and and a little while after that because this is in fact we want to dub de- de- this morning missions ma- missions sunday and and a little while after that the scripture would tell you if you continue on in the reading that uh, while they were still talking here come the disciples after going into the town to find food they come back And they are intrigued with the fact that Jesus is speaking to this woman. And as soon as they come in, John kind of gives the indication that the woman she drops her water pot. Everybody is familiar with that phrase. She drops her water pot and she goes into the town. And she she has a, a phrase that she is uttering over and over and over to anybody that would hear her. And the phrase is simply this: come see a man come see a man. Come see a man who have told me everything about myself. And really, as I thought about this Sunday morning, I was telling Sister Elena, as I was thinking about this Sunday morning, it would have been so perfect for me to just park the bus today looking at the missional aspect of what the woman did with her after her encounter with Jesus. She goes into the town and she's spreading the good news of Jesus and she she gets all these people to come to Jesus. But it's almost, and I know this language could be scary for some of us, but it's almost as if even though I put pen to paper or even though I typed out my sermon, it's almost as if the Holy Ghost said, you weren't done with the text just yet. And so I want to come back within the confines of John chapter number four, reading at verse number 21. I I want to take up the reading here one more time into your hearing, and I I just want to leave a, a, a brief word of encouragement with us before we engage in the latter part of the text. I believe there is some real substance right where we are this morning. Look at verse number 21. Jesus said to her, John chapter number four, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and it is now here when the true worshippers, say true worshippers, will worship the Father in spirit, say spirit, Spirit. and in truth, say truth. For the Father, Jesus says, seeks such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I want to talk to you for the next few minutes on the topic I've entitled, God Make Me a True Worshipper. God Make Me a True Worshipper. There are so many issues and topics in Scripture that many a times the people of God misunderstand or undershoot when we think about worship worship is one of those topics in scripture that the average christian claims to be well acquainted with yet if we are honest with ourselves if we were to take a deep dive in introspection it's one of those areas that we 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 simply stay within the confines of the shadows and so I believe that when Jesus is introducing this woman to God, he, he, he the, the idea of worship doesn't come up here by happenstance. It, it doesn't happen to come in just out of the way, but it actually is fundamental to this woman, her faith, her encounter with God and her life thereafter. And if I believe that this was so for this particular woman, this woman at the well, this Samaritan woman, then something about this statement or this phrase, something about this information that Jesus would have revealed becomes absolutely fundamental for for you and me today. Lord, make me a true worshiper. It's interesting that she would have brought up a question concerning where exactly should individuals worship be because her forefathers claimed that it was in one mountain while the Jews would claim it would be in Jerusalem. It's interesting that she she is bringing up the fact that that worship in her minds and in that day and age and time, worship to a God was confined to a particular place. And what I want us to appreciate about this text, church, is that everything about worship that we could look at cannot be found within the confines of John chapter number four. And I'm not going to attempt to really talk about worship in the broadest sense possible by using John chapter number four. But I want us to appreciate something in the text. As Jesus is revealing to her the value of worship, there are some things that come into view. Number one, they associated worship with a particular place. In other words, you think about Jewish antiquity and Jewish culture and Jewish time. They felt because Jerusalem was deemed as the, the city of the king, they would often have to travel to Jerusalem for certain feast days and, and religious days and so forth. So the day of Pentecost, for example, they, they would come from far and wide, north, south, east, and west, in Jerusalem to worship. So oftentimes, if, 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 if you dwelt in a particular place, and that place was deemed the place of God, the place where God interacted with man, that was the, the place that you felt most holy. It's interesting because if you move past the Jewish culture, if you move past the Jewish religion, from an ancient religious standpoint, this is what I want us to note. The bigger the mountain meant the bigger the God. My, my, my accent may have gotten in the way with that one, but let me repeat that one more time. In, in, in the ancient world, when you were looking at these other pagan nations, they associated the size of a mountain or the size of a temple with how big the God was. So the biggest gods in a particular nation or society dwelt in the biggest mountains. The the strongest gods had to have the biggest and most elaborate of temples. And I'm not saying that David had this type of mentality, but please understand, when David sees the, the God dwelling in a tent, he looks at his own life and how much God has blessed him. And he said, how is it? that I've been blessed to, to dwell in a palace like this, but yet still, the God of Jehovah, the God of creation, the, that God dwells in a tent. I will erect a structure worthy of the God that I serve. So the more elaborate the building, the bigger the God. So in this woman's view, here it is. She, she pits and she associates a mountain or a place with the God of heaven. And what Jesus is doing is Jesus is pointing to the fact that I want you to understand it's not so much about the place of worship in as much as really what God is seeking is a people to worship him. Don't miss that. Because oftentimes even in the 21st century, when we think of worship, we think of coming to church, church building. But very rarely, honestly, do we think, a lot of people in Christendom, when we hear coming to worship, we don't think, I'm coming to assemble with the saints. And when I assemble with the saints, we're going to have worship there. We're thinking we're coming to our worship service. When on a Sunday morning, it's not about our worship service. It's really about assembling with the saints. And when we assemble with the saints, we will have worship together. Let me see if I could go a little bit deeper with that. Because I understand that I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, technically speaking, I find myself as part, if not in an isolated sense, the assembly. But I am not the assembly by myself. I am the temple of... Of God. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, but I make up a part that is the totality of the assembly or the body of Christ. So so don't get it twisted, don't don't get it waxed. You yes, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but this thing is so complex that while the Holy Spirit dwells in you, there is power in the assembly of the body of Christ. Here's why I think that that's so important, church, because I need for us to appreciate this, that, that if you give human beings the ability to, 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 to look at things a particular way, we will rationalize every single thought and intent of our heart. Because if I'm the church, then I don't need two and three people outside of my family to worship. And, and you might be right to a degree, but there is power in the assembly, So when Jesus says it's not so much about the place, there there is power in a place, but it's not so much an isolated location in as much as he is saying, listen, it's a people, not necessarily a place. You don't have to journey to Jerusalem to worship if you're from Rome and you are a believer in Christ. You could worship in Rome as you spread the gospel to other individuals who are in need of Jesus. So let me show you this. Let me show you this. There, there, are some, there, are some, there are some ideas and some different types of worship in Scripture that we find, but, but, but we, we're going to get to John chapter 4 here just in a little bit, right? But I want us to see that there are four types of worship that Scripture identifies to us. Number one, as we think about a type Of worship, Acts chapter number seventeen. Paul is passing through Athens and he encounters a group of individuals in a place called the Areopagus. And as he is walking up to meet with this council, he 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 realizes that there is an inscription uh, to a particular god that is entitled to the unknown god. And look at what Paul would say in 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 Acts chapter number seventeen, from about verse number twenty-two. It would say, "So Paul, standing in the midst," Of the Areopagus said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all and every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this God I will proclaim unto you. Church, I want us to appreciate as we look at scripture, scripture is trying to help us to understand that uh, uh, even though as we think about worship, there are times if we're not careful, we can be worshiping ignorantly. There may have been a time, if we're honest with ourselves, that we didn't really know the God of heaven. We, we heard about him. We, 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 we heard our grandparents talk about him. We heard our parents talk about him. We heard the preacher and we hear the preacher talk about him. But if, if we were to be honest with ourselves, there may be a time or if not a time that was in our lives at one point when we did not really know the God to whom we came every Sunday claiming to worship. Knowing about God is not the same as knowing God intimately. So even though Paul is in fact talking to individuals who are at this time outside of a relationship with God, the the same is true for every single person who claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ. I need for us to understand and get this church. If we are not careful, we could be going through a ritualistic uh, 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 idea or thinking when it comes to worship because we do not have an intimate relationship with God. So scripture outlines for us that there is one type of worship that's called ignorant worship. And I want to ask you, church, do you feel comfortable worshiping God in ignorance? That's a yes or no response. Not only do we find that ignorant worship is found in scripture, but we also find another form of worship. In in the book of Matthew chapter number 15, you might find I'm rushing because I'm really trying to get through this to get to my main text. And I'll be done in just a little bit. In Matthew chapter 15... Jesus is talking to some, some Pharisees, some, some Jews that had a, an issue with the fact that his disciples was, was eaten with unwashed hands. And as he goes through a litany of things, he, he gets to our place and, and he says to them from verse number 8, and we're going to end in verse number 9 of Matthew chapter number 15, this people, he says, honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, he says, do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. If we have to be honest, if I have to be honest, if scripture is honest with us, scripture is trying to expose to us different ways and different approaches to this reality called worship. So we have individuals who worship nonetheless, but they worship ignorantly i'll confess to you there was a time when i worshiped god ignorantly i worshiped god of my grandmother i worshiped the god of my aunt i worshiped the god of my preacher growing up but i did not know god intimately but not only do we find ourselves sometimes worshiping god ignorantly but also we find ourselves worshiping god in vain Whenever tradition is lifted up over God's teaching, it doesn't matter how many songs we sing and how beautiful we sung, it doesn't matter because if we are lifting up traditions of men as if it equates to the very commandments of God, he says the thing that you're offering is truth and in fact Vain. It's the same idea, the same thought when, 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 when the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes would use the phrase over and over, vanity of vanities. Vain is vain. You might be doing it, but it, uh, it is of no effect. I need for us to understand what that means when we talk about vain worship. Vain worship is in fact worship, but it's a worship that does nothing for God and ultimately does nothing for you. Worship is active. Worship is a double-edged sword. It does something to and in God, but when done right, church, worship does something to and in us. You ever come to, to the assembly feeling down? Maybe the thought ran through your mind that morning that I wasn't going to come to begin with, but But by whatever means, the Holy Spirit put it on your heart to come anyway. And when you left, you left saying, I'm glad that I came. You ever came to the assembly heartbroken, not not even thinking you were going to make it past today. And uh, when you came to the assembly, maybe it wasn't just the singing because the singing might not have done it for you. Maybe it wasn't the preaching because the preaching might not have done it for you. But maybe it was somebody hugging you and saying, I love you. With the love of the Lord. But I'm just trying to help us to see something about that worship experience. Touched you in such a way that you had the strength to walk a little farther than you thought you could in that moment. So worship. Don't see worship as this thing you just do. But see worship as this activity that you participate in. Participation is key. Not just presence. And I feel a lot of times we feel that presence is key. It's like clocking the proverbial card, Sister Felice. It's like, 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 well, well, we were here in worship. No, you were here in the assembly, but maybe even though you were in the assembly, you ultimately did not worship. So vain worship is a worship that's given to God, but ultimately it is worthless. It does nothing for the one who is being offered the worship, nor does it do anything for the individuals or the worshipees. Worship is ought to be impactful, and that is not to say that everything about worship ought to be charismatic. That is not to say that everything about worship ought to bring you to tears. That is not to say that everything about worship ought to bring a smile to your face. But worship, when done right, ought to be impactful. Impactful to you and impactful to the others that are around you could I just could I talk to some honest people right now you you ever come to to the assembly and when the singing is going on you you really didn't have a a song in your heart you really didn't feel like singing but you you heard the old the elderly sister behind you belting out these notes uh, and she was speaking to you in that moment and and all of a sudden you went from being a Debbie Downer to now participating in the thing one of the most beautiful things for any church is when you hear babies crying and or singing because sometimes the crying is the singing and the singing is the crying, right? One of the most beautiful sounds in a church as well is when you could hear men drown out the woman. More often than not, women take the lead. And it's, it's interesting. Let me, let me do this right here. Let me talk to you. It's interesting that we lead on a theology that women ought not to usurp the man. But apparently that only has to do with these steps on this podium. But when it comes to worship, women could usurp. When it comes to worship, singing, praise, women have the loudest voice. But the men who ought to lead, I'm talking to you now, I'm not talking to anybody else. I'm talking, the men who ought to lead mumble praise. I'm just saying, if we understand the depth and the beauty of worship, we recognize that there are different times and different types, sorry, of worship that we might be engaging in that God does not necessarily accept. I'll go one step, one step further in, in saying that not only does he not accept, but he really doesn't want that. The thing that we might be offering, thinking that this is worthy of God, might actually not be worthy of God, But that's not me telling you that your worship is or is not worthy. That's, that's me trying to help us to recognize that we need to be looking at ourselves and, uh, uh, and putting up the Holy Spirit or the Word of God to see if what we're offering is actually good in the sight of Almighty God. Don't go away saying, Brother Morgan preached this morning that all worship is not good. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying all of us need to have the statement in our hearts, God, make me a true worshiper. But let me move on, let me move on. You, you, you guys probably didn't like that one, but let me move on. So not only do we have ignorant worship, not only do we have vain worship, but church, here this: we, we also have a form of worship or a type of worship that the Bible calls will worship. Now, will worship is interesting. And I, ah, it's 10 o'clock already. Will worship is interesting. Because will worship, this is found in Colossians chapter 2 verse, uh, verses 21 and tw- through 23, by the way. Will worship is is somebody who is actually trying to walk a straight and narrow path. I will not touch, I will not taste, I will not handle something. Because I am attempting to walk a straight and narrow path in the sight of God. But here's where this form of worship can become dangerous. In you and I thinking that by us abstaining from, from particular things, it makes us more holy than if we were to partake, then ultimately, what we're doing is we're creating a doctrine of holiness for ourselves. So it may not necessarily be something that is self-imposed, or, or sorry, something that is superimposed on us, but it might be something that is self-imposed. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing this, and I'm not doing that. I'm abstaining from this. I'm abstaining from that. You, you know, we're going, we're going to approach here quick the, the Lent season, and so we're going to people are going to be saying you're going to be abstaining from meat and all that kind of stuff, and that's supposed to make you more holy. Because Easter is coming soon. I'm telling you, that kind of stuff is deemed according to Paul, Colossians chapter number 2. And I know the context, he's talking about the law. But he also brings in all these other mentalities and people who think that as we abstain from certain things, that makes our worship and our relationship with God any much more purer than if we were to engage. That was a whole lot. All well, what I'm trying to say is this. We need to be careful that we're not trying to superimpose anything on ourselves and deluding ourselves into thinking that as we superimpose these things on ourselves, that we become more holier because we superimpose it. God, look at me. For the next 40 days, it's Lent time. So I'm not going to eat meat. All these other guys, all these other heathens, they could be eating meat. But I'm going to keep my body pure until Easter. That's some crazy thinking right there. And I, this, this is... Let me put a disclaimer here, Thomas. I, I, I'm not saying if, 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 if you want to follow that, that's great. But I'm saying be careful that what you're actually offering is not something that's will worship as opposed to real worship. That's, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But then as we make our way here into our text, and I'm going to be done here soon. I promise you, I'm going to be done here soon. Give me five more minutes and I'll be done, Joe David. But but here in our text, Jesus says, listen, I want you to appreciate this, that, that what God is actually looking for are people who have a heart to worship him in sincerity and in truth. What Jesus is looking for is not people that feel like the, the best time to come to worship is when everything is okay. What Jesus is looking for is not a bunch of people who think that we just have to smile all the while through worship because we serve a great God. No, no, no. When he talks about worshipers in spirit and in truth, you're saying, I need for some people to understand that they couldn't do it by themselves. I need some people to understand that I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I need some people to understand that salvation only comes through me. I need some people who understand that their healing came through me. I need some people who understand that their salary is as a result of my blessing. I need somebody to understand that their children are a result of my blessing. I need somebody to understand that the life that they have – is because of me and if you know the God who gave you what you have what should be the response Lord I am here to worship you Amen. with all that I have it might be little in comparison to somebody else but with all that I have not only all that I have but all that is within me I will worship you. What does worship mean, Brother Morgan? I'm glad you asked as we go past now, the second of our five minutes. I'm glad you asked, what does worship mean, Brother Morgan? Well, there are, there are at least three words that are used in the New Testament for worship. One of the main words that you find in the New Testament for worship is the word Greek word proscaneo. I know Whitwood probably enunciated uh, proskaneo. He might be a better tongue in, in the Greek than I have, but, but proskaneo. It's the idea of one who is bowed down. I I, I don't know. I don't know about you. It's, It's the idea of one who lowers themselves. Not simply for lowering themselves' sake, but they are in the presence of greatness. John starts off. His gospel account showcasing that Jesus is the true or pure light. Anybody here that has ever been in bright light understands that when that light is directly in your face, for some reason, this is always the reaction, you try to duck. (laughs) Anybody ever had that experience? The light is up here. The light is not down here. The light is up there. The light comes on. Or the light might be in front of you. And what what do you try to do to to get your balance or whatever? To to see where you are? You, You bow yourself. Because light does that. But the reason why I'm bowing myself is because I am in the presence of greatness. Watch this. There's a further picture... To Proskineo. Not only am I bowing myself to greatness, but I'm prostrating myself before them. I lower myself to the ground. Because in that moment, I recognize I am not worthy to be in the presence of this awesome God. It's only the person that is ignorant of God doesn't take their sandals off when, when they are in the presence of a holy God. So what does God have to do to Moses the first time when Moses encounters God in the form of the burning bush? Moses didn't know this God intimately, so he's coming to God. He's coming to God and God has to say, Moses stop! Let me tell you something about myself. God has to reveal who he is to us so that we can know how to properly approach him. But if we're not careful, like I said before, we could be worshipping God ignorantly. If we're not careful, we could be worshipping God in vain. But if we're not careful, church, we could also be worshipping God through will worship. When what God requires and what God is seeking is true worship. Do you want to be a true worshipper? I I, I won't put you on the spot to ask you, are are you a true worshipper? I know that's always a work in progress for us if we're being honest. But do you want to be a true worshipper? God is seeking such to worship him. Watch this and I'll be done. I have one more minute, Joe David. Make your way up. Watch this and I'll be done. Let me show you how mission is done now rightly. Because oftentimes we feel that mission work or evangelism is simply going and telling somebody about Jesus Christ. Well, do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? The question is, do you know this Jesus? Mission, work, and evangelism is only productive and truly productive, I should say, when the ones testifying about the goodness of God have actually tasted the goodness of God. Let me come over here, this. Mission, work, and evangelism is only truly effective when the ones who are now sharing the good news of Jesus Christ have had an encounter with Jesus Christ. It's not just information to them, it's personal. It's not just some talking points, it's intimate. So I'm not just sharing some random individual to you. I'm not just sharing some facts. Well, yeah, read John 3.16. I'm not just doing that. I'm testifying to you how good God is. I was sin and he saved me. I was sinning and he saved me. I was lost. I was blind and he gave me sight. I, I had no hope and he came into my life and he gave me hope. Mission work is done at its best when those sharing the witness of Christ. Have witnessed for themselves the goodness of Christ. If that's not the case, then all we're doing is an exercise in futility. If that's not the case, then all we're doing is a program. Whereas, I want us to note this evangelism is not a program. Could you repeat that with me, church? Evangelism, say it as if it's Sunday, but evangelism is not a program, it's a lifestyle. Say it one more time, evangelism is not a program, it's a lifestyle. One more time and feeling, evangelism is not a program, it's a lifestyle. Worship is not a program, it's a lifestyle. So, when I get to a place of understanding worship and my encounter with Christ and my relationship with God, because I'm in the presence of this awe inspiring God, I can't help but drop my water pot when the time is right and run into the town to tell my neighbors, to tell my friends, to tell my co workers, to tell my colleagues, to tell somebody, Come see a man. Come see a man. So make me a true worshiper, God, because a true worshiper is somebody whose heart is seeking for you almost as much as you are seeking for them. A true worshiper is someone who, in spite of what he or she is going through in this physical life, identifies that God is greater than our obstacles. God is greater than our mountains. No mountain could really hold or contain our God. No church building could contain our God. I come here because of the assembly, but I've been worshiping God since yesterday. I've been worshiping God since Friday. You didn't have to pump me. You didn't have to pride me. You didn't have to poke me. I was ready to come and worship with the rest of you. So what is at the core of the Christian? Joe David, I'm done. What are you doing? Come on. (laughs) So at the core of every believer... Ought to be a true heart. This, this guy is, is hard-headed. Bless his heart. Get up, bro. Let's go. I'm done. I'm waiting for you, Jody. At the core of every believer. He's still down there, guys. Believe it or not, he's still down there. At the core of every believer. Can we stand? I love you too, Joe David. I, I needed to get him back for the, his clothes. You know, his clothes coming. At every core of every believer is a heart that should be desirous of worshiping God. Because if we have to be honest with ourselves, Kim, as hard as life is still right now in this present moment, God is still good. Say amen, church. As difficult as life gets from time to time, it doesn't take away from the fact that God is still great. Say amen, church. As difficult as life could be at times, it doesn't take away or abstract from the fact that we serve an awesome God. Say, preach, preacher, preach. I'll do that next week. I'll do that next week. Church, if you have any prayer requests whatsoever, I want to encourage you. If you don't feel the need or you have the strength to come all the way down here, look to somebody in the pew, just hug on them, love on them, say, I love you with the love of the Lord, could you not pray with me or pray for me? But if you have the strength enough and you're bold enough to make your way down here to be with one of our elders and ask these elders to pray over you, pray for you, pray with you, please, 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 don't let the devil keep your feet nailed to the ground. I'm begging you, please, please, please come forward or look to the person next to you and let your requests be known as together we sing the song.